0: KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, writer Yat Jassy joins us. She has a new novel about a Stanford student searching for a scientific basis for suffering as she represses her own pain from the loss of her brother and from having a suicidal mother. Transcendent Kingdom is Jassy's second novel after the phenomenal success of her debut, Homegoing. Then what are you doing for Halloween? Counties, including L.A., San Francisco, and Ventura, are not recommending trick-or-treating and forget carnivals or haunted houses. We'll talk with Ventura County's health officer about what is allowed. And we want to hear your plans for making Halloween special while heeding COVID-19 guidelines. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Following her acclaimed debut novel, Homegoing, novelist Yaa has returned with Transcendent Kingdom. In the book, we meet Gifty, a Stanford PhD student in neuroscience. After losing her brother to a heroin overdose and seeing her strong-willed yet vulnerable mother struggle to get out of bed, Gifty is determined to find a scientific reason for suffering. But even as she embarks on her quest, she finds herself drawn again to her childhood faith. The character Gifty, like Yad Gyasi, comes from a religious Ghanaian immigrant family in Alabama. Gyasi also went to Stanford. Yad thanks so much for joining us on Forum.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: And thanks for this wonderful book. I understand the story was inspired by a close friend who studied neuroscience at Stanford. What kind of work did she do and what about it grabbed you?
2: Yeah, um, my dear friend from childhood um, from Alabama was getting her PhD in neuroscience at Stanford around the time that my first novel, Homegoing, came out. Um, and, you know, I wanted to to be as supportive for her as she was for me. And so when she had a major paper um, on the horizon to be published, I sat down and tried to read it and realized that I couldn't. Um, so I just asked if I could go shadow her in her lab. Um, she very kindly said yes. And uh, that was when I really started to kind of understand better what she did with her time. So she studies something called the neural pathways of reward seeking. Um, and she had always explained it to me as being about addiction and depression. Um, and and as I watched her kind of go about her day performing these surgeries on her mice and and training them, um, I, I the wheels in my own mind started turning. I knew that I wanted to write about it.
0: Yes, and there's this wonderful passage, this description that you have when Gifty is doing surgery on the brains of mice. And, I mean, Gifty herself feels very much in her brain (laughs) throughout the book. I mean, she chooses to major in molecular biology. She stops believing in God. She's not a feeler, or at least, I mean, she basically tells us that. But then there are these moments when she lets you in. And um, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind reading this passage where she reflects on her brother, Nana, who was given OxyContin for a basketball injury and then becomes addicted and ultimately dies of a heroin overdose. Would you mind reading that passage from early in the book?
2: Sure. It was my high school biology teacher who urged me towards science. I was 15, the same age that Nana was when we discovered he had a habit. My mother had been cleaning Nana's room when she noticed. She'd gotten a ladder from the garage so she could sweep out his light fixture. And when she put her hand in the glass bowl of the light, she found a few scattered pills, Oxycontin, gathered there, They'd looked like dead bugs once drawn to light. Years later, after all the funeral attendants had finally gone, leaving Jalof and Chi and peanut butter soup in their wake, my mother would tell me that she blamed herself for not doing more the day she'd cleaned the light. I should have said something kind and stern. I should have comforted her, told her it wasn't her fault, but somewhere, just me. I, blamed her. I blamed her and I blamed myself too. Built and doubt and fear had already settled in my young body like ghosts haunting a house. I trembled and in the one second it took for the tremble to move through my body, I stopped believing in God. It happened that quickly, a tremble length reckoning. One minute there was a God with the whole world in his hands the next minute, the world was plummeting ceaselessly toward an ever-shifting bottom.
0: That's uh writer Yaa Gyasi reading from her new novel, Transcendent Kingdom. And um, while the connection actually went a little bit in and out there, we did get a sense of just the depth of this reflection that she's having about her brother, the guilt that she's feeling. It's clear that her desire to study addiction is connected to him Yet at the same time, she keeps telling us something different. So she's showing us one thing but telling us something else. And I was wondering what it was like to write through a narrator like that.
2: Yeah, it was a bit difficult. Um, Gifty is an incredibly reticent character. She has um, all of these moments of of trauma and pain in her childhood that she has coped with by kind of building these walls around these painful points. Um, And so she's a character who is often attempting to conceal parts of herself, the parts of herself that that hurt. Um, and so part of my task as the writer was trying to figure out ways to see around her, to see the things that she wasn't saying, and to draw those moments out.
0: How did you get into the mind of someone as repressed as Gifty, so that you could you could write as a repressed person would, but yet allow the reader to connect with her?
2: Um, I just spent a lot of time thinking about um 50 as a person who was informed by, um, by loss, by, by absence. She has these three major absences in her life. One is that her father returned to Ghana the second is that her brother passed away, and the third is that her mother is emotionally distant. Um, so I was thinking about Gifty as a character for whom these losses, these absences, form a kind of presence. Um, and in that way, thinking about the the presence of the loss allowed me to see her a little bit more clearly. I also included um, diary entries from Gifty's childhood, which I think are Gifty at her most raw, at her most vulnerable. Um, They are the places where we see her incapable of lying to herself. And I think that helped.
0: Yes, but even in those diary entries, she would put her family's names in code. Like she called her mom the Black Mamba, which also kind of shows like, I think that same sense of of wanting to reveal so much, but yet also at the same time being afraid of of someone seeing or reading or understanding what she's revealing, even though in many ways it's pretty obvious. I love this one passage. I wanted to ask you about it where she writes, Dear God, the Black Mamba has been really mean to me lately. Yesterday she told me that if I didn't clean my room, no one would want to marry me. (laughs) And I was wondering if your mother or someone you know's mother said that to them. (laughs) <laughs>
2: Unfortunately, that is the kind of thing that my mother would say when I was a child. So um, so I had that one from, from first-hand experience.
0: And the reason it jumped out at me is because my mother said the exact same thing to me. <laughs> Which I was really struck by because I'd never actually seen something like that in writing. But I think it really also gets to this wonderful description that you have of of the mother, which is she was a matter of fact kind of woman, not cruel exactly, but something quite close to cruel. Who or what was the inspiration for the mother character, who really is only called the mother throughout the book?
2: Um, yeah, um, I think the inspiration for the mother's character was to think about, again, what this major loss um, of of Gifty's brother, of the mother's son, um, would do to a person. So she's a character who is often described in these terms as being, again, emotionally distant. Um, a bit absent, certainly secretive, Gifty doesn't know very much about who her mother was as a child in Ghana, um, what her mother's life looked like before they immigrated. Um, and so she's a woman I think who is who has hardened in order to kind of survive the circumstances of her life. Um, but through that hardening or during that hardening, she's held on even more tightly to her faith. Um, so she's an incredibly devout woman. Um, And for most of Gifty's life, this was the language with which they approached each other. They could always talk about their faith. Um, They could always talk about God. Um, And as Gifty turns away from her faith, her mother um, becomes kind of this, as Gifty calls it, this image formed by refracted light. She moves toward her, but she can't quite get to her.
0: Yes, their relationship is so complicated. It's beautiful. And I really appreciated the way that you wrote it and I'd like to invite our listeners to join this conversation we're talking with Yaa Gyasi about her new novel Transcendent Kingdom following the story of the young scientist Gifty who's trying to find a scientific reason for suffering Gyasi's critically acclaimed debut novel Homegoing came out in 2016 and, and traced the horrific impacts of slavery on generations of an African, Ameri- of an African family um, what are your questions for Yaa Gyasi about Transcendent Kingdom or Homegoing or her writing her writing process and considering the theme in Transcendent Kingdom? Have you or someone you know experienced loss or pain and struggled to accept or understand it? Give us a call 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also reach us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And this listener writes, I love the book. So much I could relate to. Thank you. My question is while experiencing depression is not unique within American culture, I'm curious in your mind if aspects of American culture like racism and the constant grind to make money and ends meet was one of the contributing factors to the depth of Gifty's mom's depression in addition to the loss of her son.
2: Oh, absolutely. I certainly think that the conditions of life in America for Gifty's mother, um, if if not uh, con- exacerbated the the depression, certainly contributed to it. Um, she's a woman who found herself working as a home health aide, um, a, a job that uh, you, you'd I didn't hear about very much when I was a child, though now we're seeing it more as as the pandemic brings it to light. Um, But basically it's one of these careers um, that has very long hours and low wages. And so she finds herself um, in other people's houses, um, taking care of of their grandparents, their parents, um, and unable, I think, to give that same attention to her, her children. And so when she loses one of her children, I think part of what she's experiencing is great guilt. Um, she feels not just the shame of his addiction um, and the way that they are perceived because of his addiction, um, which, which I think also... Um, kind of points to the racism that they are mm-hmm. experiencing um but in addition to all of that she feels a lot of guilt for not being available to her children in the ways that they might need so i think um it's it's kind of a, a, a book that's operating at the nexus of, of racism and capitalism
0: and yet at the same time she sort of rejects the idea that there are such a thing as mental health issues as more of a western creation right right we're talking We're talking with Yaa and we'll have more with her after the break. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. You're listening to Forum, I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Yad Gyasi about her new novel, Transcendent Kingdom, following the story of Gifty, who's trying to find a scientific reason for suffering after the death of her brother and after having had a mother who had a very intense, depressive episode. And Gyasi is also the uh, writer of the critically acclaimed debut novel, Homegoing, And if you have questions for her about Transcendent Kingdom or Homegoing or want to talk about the themes in Transcendent Kingdom, about loss and pain and the struggle to accept them, and also the process of making peace with them or not, call us 866-733-6786, email us forum at kqed.org, or post your questions and comments on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. And I should say that Yad yeah, Jesse will be with City Arts and Lectures next week for an online event on Tuesday, September 22nd at 7.30 p.m. And Yad yeah, Jesse, just before the break, we were talking about the complicated relationship between um, Gifty and her mother and her mother's understanding of mental health issues and how she really turned toward religion. And Just sort of the distance between Gifty and her mother as Gifty turns more towards science. But there were these moments of incredible tenderness between them. And uh, uh, the really beautiful one when they're looking in the mirror and she's asking her mother, you know, if if she's pretty. And her mother is like, look what God made. And it was this really touching moment. And then there's this really funny moment when uh, Gifty goes off to college, and she and her mom are talking on the phone, and she describes her mom saying, "I love you at the end of a phone call, and the two of them laughing <laughs> at the mother's attempt to to say something that she I always seem to consider saying I love you as more like a western or white foolishness is what she calls it. And I again had to ask if if you' if you had that interaction with your mom when you went to college.
2: Um, I did have a similar interaction with with my parents when I went to college. We um, we weren't a family that was very kind of effusive in the way that we saw other families around us being. Um, My family was not very uh, prone to saying I love you, prone to kind of uh, hugs and kisses. And I think there was something about me moving halfway across the country to attend college that really brought it out of my parents and suddenly um i started to hear these words i love you um that that i did not hear as a child um, which i found strange
0: yeah and i mean like what did you feel like was operating there when you when you laughed or found it sort of strange and probably funny (laughs)
2: um just that it it just felt like so it felt like Something so out of context for for what I was accustomed to, that um, I think the kind of knee jerk reaction was to find it humorous. But um, in hindsight, and and as I've got, gotten older, also I see the sweetness there. Um, the way that the influence of um, this new country that that my parents have adopted has acted in in very positive ways as well. Um, that there's this kind of. Um, tenderness that they didn't used to allow themselves that they now are allowing themselves.
0: Yes, it was a really sweet moment and it made me think that this book does it reflect a lot of your own experiences, which it seems like it does, and then what was it like to write a book that really did focus on one core relationship, especially after you wrote uh, a novel that, you know, spanned like eight generations and, you know, mm-hmm. So, so many time periods and, and, you know, two continents. And so wondering what that process was like and if it really did feel different.
2: It felt so completely different. I I think from a craft perspective, my two novels are about as different as as two novels can be. Going as you said, covered centuries, it had 14 different point of view characters, it was on two different continents, Um, it had a really pulled back third person omniscient um, narrator, and and by contrast, Transcendent Kingdom is in the first person, it follows just Gifty and her family, Um, it covers no more than than 28 years of her life, Um, it was incredibly intimate, and I think that process of turning toward the intimate, of learning to to listen to a single voice to allow me to tell this story, um, at first it it almost felt like too much freedom. It just felt too, um, yeah, just too loose. Um, And I think ultimately it was a process that really stretched new muscles for me as a writer uh, in the best way.
0: Well, Lucas writes, I'm a Stanford alumnus myself, just two years behind you, in fact. I've been working on my first novel for the last year and a half and just finished the first draft, but lots and lots of editing to go. Any advice for a first-time novelist at this stage?
2: Oh congratulations Lucas that's a great stage to be in um, I think one of the the best things that you can do at this at this stage is to find people whose opinions you really respect um, really great readers um, and share it with them start sharing with your um, with those people who are who are close to you and see what they have to say about it um, and once you start to get those responses and and build around those I think your your editing process will start to clarify.
0: And I was wondering if when you were writing this novel, yeah, Jassy, if you were conscious of the environment you were now writing it into, meaning you have had huge success, right, as a result of Homegoing, did you feel a, a, a different kind, like, did you feel the different kind of life that you were writing into <laughs> this time around with this book?
2: Oh definitely. I think um, you know there's something really sweet about writing a first novel where you're in this place where you feel as though you know you're writing in the dark. Um, you feel this kind of freedom to do whatever you please because there is a chance that no one will ever see it. Um, and that that um, assumption, uh, I could no longer hold on to. I knew that once I published a second book, there would be people who were not just going to pick it up, but who would be eager to do so. Um, and I think that did add an element of of pressure to, um, to the process of writing this second book. I think the other thing, too, is that I was so accustomed to being kind of um, just the a private person, uh, just sitting at my desk, writing my books, um, not really aware of the public. And then once Homegoing was published, suddenly I had to turn into a much more public-facing person doing events and, um, and meeting readers and um, flying on airplanes and staying in hotels. And it just felt like such a different kind of life than the one that I was used to. Yes. So it took me a while to return to I think that um, just that quiet place that uh, that dark place um, that that I feel like I need in order to write.
0: Hmm um, well this listener writes, and we're getting some really great questions, and again, you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org, post them on Twitter or Facebook, or call us, 866-733-6786. This listener writes, I remember earlier in the pandemic seeing a video of a woman leaving an evangelical church service, and she was asked by a reporter whether she was concerned about catching COVID-19, and her response was that she's protected because she's covered in the blood of Jesus. What do you think about that? And what do you think Gifty and her mom would think about this time we're in and some of the ways we're seeing science versus faith come out?
2: My my first response is, oh, my, that that sounds um, just terrible. I think Gifty would be really... um, really kind of incredulous uh, to see the response that the wider culture has been having, the kind of um, negativity and distrust around science um, would be certainly alarming to her. But I think Gifty is also a character who is who is not willing to kind of um, throw out religion altogether. Um, so I think she would actually be sympathetic to people um, who who were feeling within this time um, a need to find something to hold on to something to grasp onto um, and if if for some people I think for gifty's mother um, faith was that thing I think she would be I think she would be understanding but she would certainly firmly um, tell people to listen to the scientists trust the scientists um, and and that's what I will say as well. <laughs>
0: Well, let me go to caller Joshua and Alexandria. Hi, Joshua.
3: Hello, good morning. Uh, I'm sorry, it's morning over here. I don't know what time it is over there. Actually, it's not even morning here. Sorry about that. Um, I'm just (laughs) going to say that I really enjoyed your last book. It was really interesting. Uh, It really just uh, was really important to me. And uh, I just bought your second book, but um, I haven't read it yet. And I wanted to ask, um, what kind of mindset should I go into this book as having, I don't want to, I guess, let the last book bleed over into how I view this new one. So like, What's a good idea, like a good way to view this next one so that I can appreciate it in its full, fullness. Oh,
2: well, thank you. Thank you for reading my first book and, and for picking up this this new one. Um, I think uh, the best way to approach this new book is to just um, uh, to set aside all of your feelings about home going and just um, have this kind of clean slate when you pick up the book. It is, again, incredibly different um, in a lot of um, just structural ways, though I think ultimately the questions that the two books are asking um, are very similar, namely the idea, the question of how we make sense out of a life in which senseless things happen, how we continue forward after we've experienced trauma, after we've inherited trauma that perhaps is not ours. Um, so hopefully you'll you'll see those linkages as well. But um, in many ways, the the books are, are apples and oranges. So, um, so keep that in mind.
0: <laughs> One of the things that I was reminded of when you were talking about uh, the listener's comment in terms of Gifty sort of understanding the religious fervor, but also being squarely um, within the realm of focusing on science and trying to find answers in science was this moment with her with her fellow students when she defends religion um, against some intellectuals who are who are just talking about how dangerous it is and, and almost sort of backward in a way. And I was wondering if you could describe that moment and what was operating for Gifty, because it feels like in so many ways she's kind of trying to get away from her childhood and who she was.
2: Right, um, so there's this moment that is detailed in the novel where, um, while Gifty is still an undergrad, she's in a science class, um, and the people in her in her group um, start to make a joke about religion, um, and and they say something um, kind of callously about um, about. God's existence, and Gifty says, "Well, how do you know that God doesn't exist?" Um, and and everyone sort of turns and um, and stares as though she has revealed herself to um, to be a Jesus freak, um, and she feels their judgment in this moment. But she can't help herself; she doubles down, um, and I think that she's operating from from a couple of different places. One again, is this kind of um, love and protection of her mother. She says at one point um, that doesn't her mother deserve to find comfort um, in whatever ways she sees fit given all that she has gone through. Um, so I think any attack on people who believe in religion as being um, you know, lesser than, as being not quite intellectual, um, as being foolish, Gifty takes a bit personally because she thinks, well, my mother isn't any of those things. um, So so how can we accept that? Um, But I think the other thing that she's kind of operating under is um, a a desire not to dishonor her own childhood, her own um, belief system that she had when she was young. She's she's a character who is aware of the fact that she believed once before. um, And so she wants to, again, um, honor the child that she was.
0: This listener writes, the publishing industry is often seen as hostile to authors of color. What were your experiences like? What do you think about the role of representation of people of color in literature?
2: Um, my experience was was mostly positive in a lot of ways. I think it um, it took me a, a while to find an agent, but once I did, things kind of um, just really uh, went forward at a at a fast rate and in a uh, in a way that I couldn't have anticipated, um, knowing what I knew about um, about the fact that that publishing can be really difficult for uh, for people of color, for Black people. Um, one thing that I'm still very keenly aware of is the fact that every time I enter. My uh, publishing house office. I am almost without a doubt certain to be uh, the only black person in the room, um, and so I think mm-hmm. one change that still um, is sorely needed is to have as many um, as many black people behind behind the camera, um, as, as we see in front of the camera. It's it's not enough to to start seeing more books being published by Black people. Um, it's also important to have the rooms where these decisions are made um, be filled with Black people as well.
0: And in terms of the role of representation that this listener asks about, I don't know if you want to comment a little bit on that, but also the other thing is is just... The importance in the publishing industry, it feels like, to have books that they can kind of wrap their mind around how it will be received uh, by readers. Is that something that you came up against when you were trying to publish Homegoing?
2: Yeah, the publishing industry is really um, reliant on this thing called uh, on comps. So, um, what they what they often want is to see a book that they can compare to a book that has done well in the past. Um, and and one way that that limits people of color is if you are writing about um, a, an ethnic group, uh, a racial group. Um, a class that is not as represented in fiction, it might be harder for you um, to get a good comp, to get a comp that, that the um, industry recognizes. Um, and so one thing that that gives me hope about the fact that we are starting to see more books by people of color on bestsellers lists, on, um, on award long lists, is that hopefully people who are writing books um, about similar situations or with similar representation um, will find themselves able to have those comparisons made that allow them to kind of get their foot in the door uh, quicker.
0: Yeah. Well, let me go to Christina in San Francisco. Hi, Christina.
3: Hi. You know, I just wanted to comment on the author's discussion of religion. I was just really struck by your example, Mina, of the woman who said she was covered in whatever, Jesus' blood. And I just... I just I guess it struck me because I thought about the vulnerability that people are having right now and the sense mm. of hopelessness and fear and I feel like when we think about religion, I guess what for me where it goes to is a sense of community and culture, and I feel like people are desperate for that right now and and I can so I can see how it goes to that sort of place, which is terrifying if, if someone's willing to only think about religion and not science, but I but I kind of get it on a deep, like, soul level because of the importance of religion in terms of community and culture, and I feel like that's what it provides the world in so many ways. It doesn't always um, provide an explanation for existence, but we find community in religion, and I think that that's a global experience, and I just wanted to appreciate her empathy for
0: that. Christina, thank you. And uh, let me see if I can squeeze in this one last point from a listener who writes, at one point, Gifty asks, what's the point of all this? Did you come any closer to an understanding about that yourself as a writer in exploring your characters?
2: Mm, That's a great question. Um, uh, yes and no. I think what I what I came closer to is understanding that there are so many questions um, that will not have kind of concrete answers and that that is okay. Um, but I might not know what the point of all of this is, um, but that the journey that I'm on, the, the struggle um, within this journey um, is in and of itself a kind of achievement um, and something to be celebrated and relished. Um, and so I feel, Uh, After writing this book, um, really a sense of ease, um, a sense of kind of being able to lay some of these burdens down.
0: Well, yeah, Jessie, thank you so much for talking with us.
2: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, Jessie. Her new novel is Transcendent Kingdom, and she'll be with City Arts and Lectures next week, Tuesday, September 22nd at 730. Thanks to our listeners for their questions and comments and to Ariana Prale for producing today's segment. We have another one coming up next talking about plans for Halloween or lack thereof. So stay with us for that. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum.